Section seven of Michael Kohlhaas by Heinrich von Kleist, translated by Francis H. King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Since there was nothing else to be done, the next day, at the request of their cousin, the squire, the lords Heinz and Coons, who possessed estates in the neighborhood of Tronka Castle, which had been burned down, wrote to their stewards and to the farmers living there for information about the black horses, which had been lost on that unfortunate day and not heard of since. But on account of the complete destruction of the castle and the massacre of most of the inhabitants, all that they could learn was that a servant, driven by blows, dealt with the flat of the incendiary sword, had rescued them from the burning shed in which they were standing. But that afterward, to the question where he should take them and what he should do with them, he had been answered by a kick from the savage madman. The squire's gouty old housekeeper, who had fled to Meissen, assured the latter, in reply to his written inquiry, that on the morning after that horrible night the servant had gone off with the horses toward the Brandenburg border. But all inquiries which were made there proved vain, and some error seemed to lie at the bottom of this information, as the squire had no servant whose home was in Brandenburg, or even on the road thither. Some men from Dresden, who had been in Wilsdruff a few days after the burning of Tronka Castle, declared that, at the time named, a groom had arrived in that place, leading two horses by the halter, and, as the animals were very sick and could go no further, he had left them in the cow-stable of a shepherd, who had offered to restore them to good condition. For a variety of reasons, it seemed very probable that these were the black horses for which search was being made. But persons coming from Wilsdruff declared that the shepherd had already traded them off again, no one knew to whom. And a third rumor, the originator of which could not be discovered, even asserted that the two horses had in the meantime passed peacefully away and been buried in the carrion pit at Wilsdruff. This turn of affairs, as can easily be understood, was the most pleasing to the lords Hines and Coons, as they were thus relieved of the necessity of fattening the blacks in their stables, the squire, their cousin, no longer having any stables of his own. They wished, however, for the sake of absolute security, to verify this circumstance. Sir Wenzel Tronka, therefore, in his capacity as hereditary feudal lord with the right of judicature, addressed a letter to the magistrates at Wilsdruff, in which, after a minute description of the black horses, which, as he said, had been entrusted to his care and lost through an accident, he begged them to be so obliging as to ascertain their present whereabouts, and to urge and admonish the owner, whoever he might be, to deliver them to the stables of the chamberlain, Sir Coons, in Dresden, and be generously reimbursed for all costs. Accordingly, a few days later, the man to whom the shepherd in Wilsdruff had sold them did actually appear with the horses, thin and staggering, tied to the tailboard of his cart, and led them to the marketplace in Dresden. As the bad luck of Sir Wenzel, and still more of honest Kohlhaas would have it, however, the man happened to be the knacker from Dolbon. As soon as Sir Wenzel, in the presence of the Chamberlain, his cousin, learned from an indefinite rumor that a man had arrived in the city with two black horses, 
which had escaped from the burning of Tronka Castle, both gentlemen, accompanied by a few servants, hurriedly collected in the house, went to the palace square where the man had stopped, intending, if the two animals proved to be those belonging to Kohlhaas, to make good the expenses the man had incurred, and take the horses home with them. But how disconcerted were the knights to see a momentarily increasing crowd of people, who had been attracted by the spectacle, already standing around the two-wheeled cart to which the horses were fastened. Amid uninterrupted laughter, they were calling to one another that the horses, on account of which the whole state was tottering, already belonged to the knacker. The squire, who had gone around the cart and gazed at the miserable animals, which seemed every moment about to expire, said, in an embarrassed way, that those were not the horses which he had taken from Kohlhaas, but Sir Coons, the chamberlain, casting at him a look of speechless rage, which, had it been of iron, would have dashed him to pieces, and throwing back his cloak to disclose his orders and chain, stepped up to the knacker, and asked if those were the black horses which the shepherd at Wilsdruff had gained possession of, and for which Squire Wenzel Tronka, to whom they belonged, had made requisition through the magistrate of that place. The knacker who, with a pail of water in his hand, was busy watering a fat, sturdy horse that was drawing his cart, asked, The blacks? Then he put down the pail, took the bit out of the horse's mouth, and explained that the black horses, which were tied to the tailboard of the cart, had been sold to him by the swineherd in Haneken, where the latter had obtained them, and whether they came from the shepherd at Wilsdruff, that he did not know. He had been told, he continued, taking up the pail again, and propping it between the pole of the cart and his knee. He had been told by the messenger of the court at Wilsdruff, to take the horses to the house of the Troncas in Dresden, but the squire to whom they had been directed was named Coons. With these words he turned around with the rest of the water which the horse had left in the pail, and emptied it out on the pavement. The chamberlain, who was beset by the stares of the laughing, jeering crowd, and could not induce the fellow, who was attending to his business with phlegmatic zeal, to look at him, said that he was the chamberlain Coons Tronka. The black horses, however, which he was to get possession of, had to be those belonging to the squire, his cousin. They must have been given to the shepherd at Wilsdruff by a stableman who had run away from Tronka Castle at the time of the fire. Moreover, they must be the two horses that originally belonged to the horse-dealer Kohlhaas. He asked the fellow, who was standing there with his legs apart, pulling up his trousers, whether he did not know something about all this. Had not the swineherd of Haneken, he went on, perhaps purchased these horses from the shepherd at Wilsdruff, or from a third person, who in turn had bought them from the latter, for everything depended on this circumstance. The knacker replied that he had been ordered to go with the black horses to Dresden, and was to receive the money for them in the house of the Troncas. He did not understand what the squire was talking about, and whether it was Peter or Paul, or the shepherd in Wilsdruff, who had owned them before the swineherd in Haneken, was all one to him, so long as they had not been stolen. And with this he went off, with his whip across his broad back, to a public house which stood in the square, 
with the intention of getting some breakfast, as he was very hungry. The chamberlain, who for the life of him, didn't know what he should do with the horses which the swineherd of Hanneken had sold to the knacker of Dolben, unless they were those on which the devil was riding through Saxony, asked the squire to say something. But when the latter, with white trembling lips, replied that it would be advisable to buy the black horses, whether they belonged to Kohlhaas or not, the chamberlain, cursing the father and mother who had given birth to the squire, stepped aside out of the crowd and threw back his cloak, absolutely at a loss to know what he should do or leave undone. Defiantly determined not to leave the square, just because the rabble were staring at him derisively, and with their handkerchiefs pressed tight over their mouths, seemed to be waiting only for him to depart before bursting into laughter, he called to Baron Wink, an acquaintance who happened to be riding by, and begged him to stop at the house of the Lord High Chancellor, Count Reed, and through the latter's instrumentality to have Kohlhaas brought there to look at the black horses. When the Baron, intent upon this errand, entered the chamber of the Lord High Chancellor, it so happened that Kohlhaas was just then present, having been summoned by a messenger of the court, to give certain explanations of which they were in need concerning the deposit in Lutzen. While the Chancellor, with an annoyed look, rose from his chair and asked the horse-dealer, whose person was unknown to the Baron, to step to one side with his papers, the latter informed him of the dilemma in which the Lord's Tronka found themselves. He explained that the knacker from Dolbun, acting on a defective requisition from the court at Wilsdruff, had appeared with horses whose condition was so frightful that Squire Wenzel could not help hesitating to pronounce them the ones belonging to Kohlhaas. In case they were to be taken from the knacker notwithstanding, and an attempt made to restore them to good condition in the stables of the knights, an ocular inspection by Kohlhaas would first be necessary, in order to establish the aforesaid circumstance beyond doubt. "'Will you therefore have the goodness,' he concluded, "'to have a guard fetch the horse-dealer from his house, and conduct him to the market-place where the horses are standing. The Lord High Chancellor, taking his glasses from his nose, said that the Baron was laboring under a double delusion. First, in thinking that the fact in question could be ascertained only by means of an ocular inspection by Kohlhaas, and then, in imagining that he, the Chancellor, possessed the authority to have Kohlhaas taken by a guard wherever the squire happened to wish, with this he presented to him Kohlhaas, who was standing behind him, and sitting down and putting on his glasses again, begged him to apply to the horse-dealer himself in the matter. Kohlhaas, whose expression gave no hint of what was going on in his mind, said that he was ready to follow the baron to the market-place and inspect the black horses which the knacker had brought to the city. As the disconcerted baron faced around toward him, Kohlhaas stepped up to the table of the Chancellor, and, after taking time to explain to him, with the help of the papers in his wallet, several matters concerning the deposit in Lutzen, took his leave. The Baron, who had walked over to the window, his face suffused with a deep blush, likewise made his adieu, and both, escorted by the three foot-soldiers assigned by the Prince of Meissen, took their way to the palace square, attended by a great crowd of people. 
In the meantime, the Chamberlain, Sir Coons, in spite of the protests of several friends who had joined him, had stood his ground among the people, opposite the knacker of Dolben. As soon as the baron and the horse-dealer appeared, he went up to the latter and, holding his sword proudly and ostentatiously under his arm, asked if the horses standing behind the wagon were his. The horse-dealer, turning modestly toward the gentleman who had asked him the question and who was unknown to him, touched his hat. Then, without answering, he walked toward the knacker's cart, surrounded by all the knights. The animals were standing there on unsteady legs, with heads bowed down to the ground, making no attempt to eat the hay which the knacker had placed before them. Kohlhaas stopped a dozen feet away, and after a hasty glance turned back again to the chamberlain, saying, My lord, the knacker is quite right. The horses which are fastened to his cart belong to me. As he spoke, he looked around at the whole circle of knights, touched his hat once more, and left the square, accompanied by his guard. At these words the chamberlain, with a hasty step that made the plume of his helmet tremble, strode up to the knacker and threw him a purse full of money. And while the latter, holding the purse in his hand, combed his hair back from his forehead with a leaden comb, and stared at the money, Sir Coons ordered a groom to untie the horses and lead them home. The groom, at the summons of his master, left a group of his friends and relatives among the crowd. His face flushed slightly, but he did, nevertheless, go up to the horses, stepping over a big puddle that had formed at their feet. No sooner, however, had he taken hold of the halter to untie them, than Master Himboldt, his cousin, seized him by the arm, and with the words, You shan't touch the knacker's jades, hurled him away from the cart. Then, stepping back unsteadily over the puddle, the master turned toward the chamberlain, who was standing there, speechless with astonishment at this incident, and added that he must get a knacker's man to do him such a service as that. The chamberlain, foaming with rage, stared at Master Himboldt for a moment, then turned about and, over the heads of the knights who surrounded him, called for the guard. When, in obedience to the orders of Baron Wink, an officer with some of the elector's bodyguards had arrived from the palace, Sir Coons gave him a short account of the shameful way in which the burghers of the city permitted themselves to instigate revolt, and called upon the officer to place the ringleader, Master Himboldt, under arrest. Seizing the master by the chest, the chamberlain accused him of having maltreated and thrust away from the cart the groom who, at his orders, was unhitching the black horses. The master, freeing himself from the chamberlain's grasp, with a skillful twist which forced the latter to step back, cried, My lord, showing a boy of twenty what he ought to do is not instigating him to revolt. Ask him whether, contrary to all that is customary and decent, he cares to have anything to do with those horses that are tied to the cart. If he wants to do it after what I have said, well and good. For all I care, he may flay and skin them now." At these words the Chamberlain turned round to the groom, and asked him if he had any scruples about fulfilling his command, to untie the horses which belonged to Kohlhaas and lead them home. 
when the groom, stepping back among the citizens, answered timidly that the horses must be made honorable once more, before that could be expected of him. The chamberlain followed him, tore from the young man's head the hat which was decorated with the badge of his house, and, after trampling it under his feet, drew his sword, and with furious blows drove the groom instantly from the square and from his service. Master Himboldt cried, Down with the bloodthirsty madman, friends! And while the citizens, outraged at this scene, crowded together and forced back the guard, he came up behind the chamberlain and threw him down, tore off his cloak, collar, and helmet, wrenched the sword from his hand, and dashed it with a furious fling far away across the square. In vain did Squire Wenzel, as he worked his way out of the crowd, call to the knights to go to his cousin's aid. Even before they had started to rescue him, they had been so scattered by the rush of the mob that the chamberlain, who in falling had injured his head, was exposed to the full wrath of the crowd. The only thing that saved him was the appearance of a troop of mounted soldiers who chanced to be crossing the square, and whom the officer of the elector's bodyguards called to his assistance. The officer, after dispersing the crowd, seized the furious Master Himboldt, and, while some of the troopers bore him off to prison, two friends picked up the unfortunate chamberlain, who was covered with blood, and carried him home. Such was the unfortunate outcome of the well-meant and honest attempt to procure the horse-dealer's satisfaction for the injustice that had been committed against him. The knacker of Dolbon, whose business was concluded, and who did not wish to delay any longer, tied the horses to a lamp-post, since the crowd was beginning to scatter, and there they remained the whole day through, without anyone's bothering about them an object of mockery for the street Arabs and loafers. Finally, since they lacked any sort of care and attention, the police were obliged to take them in hand, and, toward evening, the knacker of Dresden was called to carry them off to the knacker's house outside the city to await further instructions. End of section 7